If you can have anything in the world barring all obstacles, what would this be? I love that you started with that question. For me right now, it would be, I would like the book to help. I would like this book that I've written to help. That's why I wrote it. And I would like it to help people uh, find their own point of view, their own artistry, what it is they want to do in the world. Uh, I think we're lost. I think we're, we're experiencing some very, very difficult times. And I think time, it's very loud. It's very loud right now. We're being bombarded. Even though we're in our homes because of the pandemic, we are still, you know, being bombarded with, with media and internet and social media. And, you know, we're lost as to what to do with our time. Um, education is a little sad right now. You know, they've taken arts out of school. This is a very dangerous thing. This is not just a light thing to take arts out of school. This is not just a, oh, we don't have enough money, so there's no art, so you do those outside of the school. Art is the most important thing because it teaches imagination. You know, art is about imagination, and without imagination, we have no future. You know, this is why the artists have always been the ones to lead us into you know, uh, better waters or the future or the evolution of mankind or a higher way or a higher calling. It's always been the artists. So if you take arts out of school, you're not supporting artists. You're not supporting the people who are going to teach us, you know, how, how to live. So my thing is, Okay, well, let's find the artist in everyone then. If we're not going to just bring out the Michelangelos, forget the Maybe it's not the time right now. We don't have any Michelangelos. We don't have any Beatles. We don't have anything in music, literature. I don't see this new wave of art arriving. So let's bring it out in everyone. Um, you know, I was raised in, in, I mean, I was in the 70s. We had the painting evolution. It was incredible with Jasper Johns and Bob Rauschenberg, and you know we had gone from from uh, one kind of painting to another. And uh, I was raised with these guys at the dining room table, and I would study them. And they, you know, they just had their own way of looking at things. The, the idea was to see but to see in your own way, to see with your own eyes, to find something for yourself. So, you know, in the book, I like to talk about negative space because we don't think about looking at negative space, but that's a great example. You know, when you look at a tree, we're educated to look at a tree in the same way. There's the branch, there are the leaves, there's the trunk. Artists look at the tree, they look at the negative space. They look at the space between the leaves. They look at the space between the branches. You can even do an exercise where you paint that space. You just do the space and then the picture arrives. So these are things that stimulate the imagination. This is why when we have art in school, we stimulate the imagination. This is very important. Otherwise, we follow anything. We buy anything. 
Right now, we're just, you know, oh, I think I should look like Kim Kardashian. I need to look like this one. I, oh, I need to buy these things because that's very, very hip. I need to buy the right sneakers. I mean, people are spending $300 on sneakers. Probably more, I don't know. But it's absurd, really. Why is that one of the central questions in your life? This, if you could have anything. Okay. Well, my father asked me that question. Uh, actually, I think the first time he asked it of me, I was uh, a, a very naughty teenager. I was a very angry teenager. I'll probably get into that at another time. But uh, my mother sent me to live with my father in California because she said, I'm done with her. She's 14 and hell on wheels and do something with this kid. And so I went to live with my father. And he lived on the beach in Topanga when there were houses on the beach in Topanga, which was, I can't even tell you how fantastic that was. And he wasn't very present when I was a child because he was an actor and he was in California working. He started out on Broadway, but then they took all those guys to California because it was the 50s and television exploded. And so he came out here to work. So I, I, I didn't have a sense of him. I had this sort of formal relationship with him. But I came and I was in trouble and he kind of took a look at that and he said, uh, you know, Jossie, if you could have anything in the world, barring all obstacles, what would that be? And I said, I want to I live at the beach here with you and I don't want to go to boarding school. I don't want to go to private school and I don't want to do that. I just want to live at the beach with you. You know, maybe this was a glib answer. But that question stuck with me, and I have been asking that of myself and of others uh, since that time. Um, we need to know what we want to do in the world, you know? We're not educated to that. We, nobody in school, don't you think that this is a smart question? Hello, you're six. What do you like to do? What do you think you want to do? What would you like to do today? You're eight. Hi, what's going on? Oh, you like the painting. What would you like to do today? You know, you have to ask this question of yourself throughout life. What is it that you want to do? You're here on the planet for a purpose. You know, there is something you can do that is better than anyone else, and your job is to find it. And nobody's been helping us do that. So I took that question and presented it in the book to others. This is the most important question. Can you answer this question? And you only have answered this question when you ask it of yourself and your heart beats. You have to keep asking until something moves in you, something is visceral. This is why this word came out of the teaching, because... When you're teaching actors, you have to give them a technique. It's very important. If you don't offer a really firm technique, you're not teaching. You're not offering anything. But beyond technique, what, 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 makes, what takes a, a good actor, a serviceable actor, uh, to a great actor, to, to an inspirational actor? What is that lift off? Well, it's inspiration. It's when something comes in that wakes the artist up and that he can follow and he can trust. And 
he knows that something exciting has come in. He knows that it's inspirational because his heart beats a little faster, because he's even nervous about it, because sometimes when that comes in and you get that kind of a hit, you're anti, you, I, do, I can't do that, that's too scary. You know, it's scary. No, all of those feelings, those visceral feelings, the heartbeat, the stomach turn, all of those things are indicators that you are going in the right path. Follow that path. So you see what you want. You ask questions until you get that. Then you clarify, this is the direction I want to go in. This is what I want in life. This is what I meant. Now you can take the steps. You know, then they're revealed. You know, if you, if you want to be an actor, then you're going to take certain steps to get to be an actor. But an I want to be an actor. Lots of people say, I want to be an actor. But unless your heart beats on I want to be an actor, you're just maybe fantasizing about being an actor. You know, your heart has to beat. You have to have a purpose for it, whether it's painting, whether it's acting, whether it's carving small animals and leaving them in trees for people to find, like Boo Radley, you know. Whatever your bliss is, whatever your, you, you know because it moves in you. You think people like the idea of what being an actor is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, we, you know, we have two parts to us. We have the ego, the personality, and we have the spirit, which is we are energetic beings in bodies, but we have nothing supporting us in that way. There's nothing to support that. There's no education. You know, it, it flows over into religion. Well, it has nothing to do with religion. Religion is something else. You know, it's something, you know, they've kind of failed us religions. It got a little dogmatic and people went, eh, really? So people want to find that in themselves. You know, if we, if we looked at all the religious, you know, books and all, everything, and we were told, you, nobody can tell you this. You can read these books, but they're just inspiration. You know, nobody can tell you what they are. That would be beautiful. Wouldn't that be beautiful if you read the Bible, if you read the Quran, if you read these beautiful books, and, and only you could answer to them. This is what we need. Only you. We need to listen to ourselves. And we don't have any concept as to how to do that. So, actors, back to the question. You know, a lot of actors' personality, we're looking at nothing but actors. Actors are running all of advertising, you know, and everything is, yeah, I want to be an actor. I think I want to be an actor. I want people to look at me like that. That's one answer that comes from, you know, the ego. And I want to be admired. I want to be looked at. And, you know, that's natural. We all want that. And if we didn't get it as children, which is in many, many cases, we're going to seek it elsewhere. Um, but an actor are actors who it moves in them because their mission in life is to reveal the human condition. That's what acting is. It's revealing the human condition. And I liken um, actors to magicians because they're creating life before your very eyes. And when they get it right, you leave your little life and you enter their storytelling. You know, when an actor enters that realm and they're living it before your very eyes as if it were a parallel 
universe, a parallel life right there. And we know that. Everybody knows that. They have a thermometer. They go, that guy's really in there, or that guy's really acting. And the guy who's acting, we enjoy it. It's entertainment. But the guy who's elevated, the guy who's living it, the guy who has dared to enter that, you know, that guy is working out of inspiration. That guy is a magician. And when he's working, we leave. We leave our little life and we enter his life and we take a little vacation from our own life. And, and then when he's done, you know, we admire that and we think, well, if he can control all of that, maybe I can do a little better with my own life. What does always have something to look forward to mean? I want people to take the reins of their own life like a horse and point it in the direction that they want it to go. You know what I mean? If you want to go east, you have to go like this and go east. So that was another thing my father gave me. He said, Jossie, always have something to look forward to. And it's very important because it, it helps you to believe that you are creating your own life. You know, I'm going to... We talked a little bit about the artist's way, and they have an artist state and that. You take yourself on an artist state. And I remember being involved in the artist's way, and I loved it. Uh, but I was terrible at getting the artist state in because we're, you know, this is going to call my attention, and that's going to call my attention, and I have to be at this appointment. And, and, and we busy ourselves out of the artist state. So to always have something to look forward to is part of being responsibility, taking responsibility for your own joy. It's very important that we take responsibility for our own vibration. If you're a creator, creativity and joy go hand in hand. There is a school of thinking that is, you know, the more pain or the tortured and stuff, you know, all these artists are, you know, great artists are tortured people. I, I just don't, don't buy it. I find it an indulgence. I believe joy and creativity go hand in hand. So we're responsible for, for creating that. In, in, as a, in teaching, in my classes, my students will tell you, you know, they get morose and they come to class and they're like, you know, it's so hard and then auditions and, you know, there are no jobs and now they make you, you know, film yourself and, you know, they just walls of complaints. And it's, some of them have been around for 20 or 30 years and they're tired of the industry and they have a whole nother level of complaints. And I ask them things like, you know, when is the last time you took a day in nature? You know, when is the last time you did something fun? When do you plan things, you know? So I make them make joy lists. I literally make them like this one guy. So do you have to go and next class, bring me 10 things that bring you joy. You like doing them, you know? And he came back, he had one, he had one thing on the list, golf. And I went, okay, golf, great. Next week, two more, you know. And he kind of pulled himself up. And when you do those things, when you look forward to, you know, it turned out he liked uh, softball, you know. So he went into a softball league and he played in a couple of games and he came out and he was like, you know, that's his jam, man. That made him happy, you know. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm far from a Pollyanna, but 
you're responsible for your own happiness. So when you first you have to know what you like, make a joy list because you can't put things in the future if you don't if you're not looking forward to them, you know, if it's not something you love that's going to bring you joy. So first you make a joy list if need be and then you put those things on the calendar three times a week. Why not? You know, people go one artist date, forget one artist date. It's your life. Put things on your calendar to look forward to that you want to do. You want to go to Europe, you don't have any money. Say to yourself, I'm going to Europe in a year and two months, in the October of the la la year. I'm going to, and where am I going to go? And get specific, just like artists, just like actors, you have to get specific. I'm going to France. Where are you going in France? Well, research that. I'm going to these two places in France. Great. Where are you going to stay? And when you start getting specific, just like you create a part, that's just like creating a part. Where are you? You know, where, where are you going to stay? All those kinds of questions are the same kinds of questions that artists and actors ask. You answer all those questions. You put the date on the calendar. You start a little savings fund. And you know what? Sorry to seem airy-fairy, but the universe is going to contribute to that because you are now operating at a higher vibration. And that's where inspiration comes in. Sure. And on the flip side, not to be too morose, but it can work that way in the negative as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. If you, when you constantly worry, you will attract things that will contribute. It's really benevolent, though. It's really like, oh, did you want to worry? Okay, let me help you out with that. You know, it, it's it, there's no good, bad, or indifferent about it. It just is, you know. Uh, and if you complain, then you'll find more things to complain about, you know. We're so complainy, and meanwhile, we're so blessed. We really, I have to say to my husband all the time, we're, we're complaining. We're complaining about ridiculousness here. We're complaining about who's going to cook the salmon tonight, you know what I mean? It's like, let's, we have salmon, let's cook it, let's celebrate. I think you said in the book that uh, some of your students, they think there's a career that they want, but really it's someone's career that's already out there, and they're, and they're in a sense emulating that, but they need one that's true for them? Yes, yeah. There was, you know, I have students that, um, and I think it's natural, you know, they're very taken with, you know, she's a singer, she wants to be Madonna, you know, he's an actor, he wants to be James Franco, or they, they see these people, it's a little bit of a love affair, because there's a lot of admiration that goes on in the arts, and certainly in acting, and so, you know, they, they fantasize what it would be like to be this person, and there's nothing wrong with fantasy, but it's not going to get you what you want, your dream, your dream is not fantasy. When you can see yourself in the picture, you know, Madonna, for instance, that's a very clear concept of her career. She had to have seen it. She saw the costume. She saw the hair. She saw the makeup. She saw the voice. She saw a presentation. Marilyn Monroe, the same thing. So the, it's just a tiny shift over to what is that for you? What is that for you? If you want to be that kind of actor, which is to create a whole kind of an image thing. There are different kinds of actors. 
You know, there's Cary Grant actors and Marilyn Monroe. This is a personality that you kind of create for yourself that sells. That's a little old-fashioned. And then there are character actors who have a much broader, uh, what is that called, arc of, of who they can play. And, and some of them, can, you know, we never recognize them every time we see them because that's their goal is they want to enter so far into character that we don't recognize them but when they're really good they're still tethered they're still tethered they never release once you release it becomes acty you know you're playing at something but when you loan your heartbeat your breath your nervous system to an entirely different character who, you know, then you tweak the nervous system and it's a little bit different and you tweak the energy. This one has lots of energy. This one is tired or exhausted or ill, but you're still tethered in, on that energy line. It's as if this character's energy were your line. You're feeding it. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. So do you think most people want to be the persona? Or, or there's yeah. some that definitely want to be the Yeah, they want to be the persona. They want to be admired because we're living in a really narcissistic society right now. And narcissists don't admire each other. They don't, you know, they're not necessarily kind. They're, all of their attention, their thinking is on themselves. So we're in a very thinking society, not a being society, not energetic being society but a thinking society. And that's why I talk about meditation so much because, you know, I was just talking to a car, a guy who drove me in a car, and I was talking about you just have that little separation because he was telling me, you know, I get cranky and I don't know, my family, and I go, you know, can you just look at it? Just look at it. If you can, what meditation gives you, even if you do it five minutes a day, it gives you the understanding that you can step outside your thinking which is all, sorry, ego. It's not, we, we can't do without ego. We have to have ego. It's not a terrible thing. It's just out of balance. You know, we're just like all about ego and thinking. But if you can step out a little bit, just like that much, you can look and see, oh, I'm thinking this or I'm behaving that way or, you know, I'd like to change this. You know, I had a, I, I get cranky sometimes over, I'm not going to get into why, but you know, we're all imperfect. And I was getting very cranky with my husband. We were working together and sometimes I'm cranky when we're working together, we're writing together. He goes, no, it doesn't go that way. And, and he's such a beautiful human being. And suddenly I took a little step out of myself and looked at myself and went, really, Jocelyn, do you, do you have to carry on like this? This is kind of mean and abusive, and why are you doing it? And so I looked at my husband just because I could make that little separation and said, you know, I'm really being a bitch, aren't I? And he was so loving and dear and looked at me and said, can, can, you, can you help it? Can you just step out of it? And I go, well, I've stepped out. This is about as far as I can go right now. <laughs> you know? But then we laughed. So... What was the question? Well, is it almost like an outer body experience? So there's the there's the persona actor, yeah. which when they walk in, um, you know, all eyes are on them. And then there's it sounds like there's the chameleon who can really become almost another person. Yeah. And and I think the question was, uh, do most actors want to um, become the idea? Like if I just absolutely adore Kate Blanchett. Yeah. And and want to become yes. everything that she does. And I realized, wait a minute, 
I'm wanting to emulate her. I'm not yes. trying to be the best me, the apples and oranges type of thing. It's, it, it's all from the same question. It's why I wrote the book. There's no connection to self. There's no connection to self. So as a teacher, you know, I could say to them, you're fantasizing. What do you want for you? What is your career? Do you want, because they also, th along with that fantasizing of being Kate Blanchett or any one of them, you want their career. So you want a movie, you want to be a movie star. You know, people don't think about theater as much. People don't think about television. They don't think about creating their own movies, make your own movies. You know, what is it that you want to do? Because nobody's asked them that. So you have to be asked and you have to continue to ask until what happens? Boom, 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 something happens. Only you can answer that question. And only you can answer that question with your own nervous system you know, with your own responses. So really what we need is because we need to lead people back to themselves in their own point of view and their own autonomy. Because even with the chameleon actors, often they're acting out of unhappiness. They're trying to escape themselves. And so they can do this magic trick of really entering, but they're not very happy as people. I'm for like, you know, let's 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 have a little fun in life because we're not here very long. And I want to set an example. I want people to set an example that this can be fun because right now it's really dark. And one last thing, if I may, before we move on, and that is, if I and I'm I'm using let's say the Kate Blanchett analogy, but what if that's not my type? What if I want to be that type? But my type, when I walk into a casting office, is someone completely different. And so I'm trying to become an orange when I'm really an apple. How do I reconcile that with myself as an actor? Right. First, you have to check on the heartbeat. Is it, do you really want to be Kate Blanchett? Do you really want to play those parts? Or are you fantas or are you wishing you looked differently? Um, and if you really want to play those parts, you can find a way. You know, there was a, a model. I grew up, you know, I was a really bad model, but that's another story. Um, but I worked with some, around some very good models. And, you know, Twiggy was a big deal. So the eyelashes and stuff, we looked sort of alike. But there was a, a woman named Penelope Tree who was a model. And she didn't really have the face of a model. And, but she wanted it. She had a heartbeat for it. It was a real thing for her. So she created a face with kabuki. She made a white face with very extreme makeup. And she wore very uh, geodesic, uh, kind of, not geodesic, geometric clothes. And she had poses that no one had ever seen. Like, you know, she was very, uh, just odd, strange uh, poses. She created her own thing. She was a huge hit. Why? Because it came from her imagination. Like Madonna, you know, it came out of her imagination. She saw it. You have to be able to see yourself in it. Um, if it's not from your own heart, you're never going to get there. Here's another example. I'm not going to mention her name, but, you know, I trained with a beautiful actress. I love this woman who wanted to be Kate Blanchett. She wanted to be a movie star. And she was never going to be a movie star. She was, you know, from kind of coal mining. She was salt of the earth, babe, that sort of was recognizable to all of us. And my teacher, uh, who was Milton Katselis, 
he was he was very hard on people. I don't believe in being that hard either, but he was very hard on her, and <laughs> he kept telling her, you know, you're not going to play these parts. You're not going to stop doing scenes from these parts because you're not going to play these parts. You're salt of the earth. And finally he said, he, he hit home with her. It maybe it was the sixth critique, maybe the tenth critique, and he looked at her and he said, is Anamanyani not good enough for you? And she didn't know who Anamanyani was, and so she went and she looked up Anamanyani, and she realized what he was talking about, and she realized the wealth of parts available to her as a character actress. And she, st I'm getting goosebumps, she started working and she hasn't stopped since she's in everything. She's in everything. So it is finding, but it had to ring in her heart. She had to look at Anamanyani and go, oh, I feel it. I see myself in it. You have to see yourself in it. Why is thinking bad? I don't think thinking is bad. I just think it's overdone. <laughs> you know, we just we think all the time, all the time, all the time. You know, I had trouble sleeping last night because of something that's coming up that, you know, is a bit of a problem for me, and I'm going to have to figure out how to handle it in a, you know, good way. So I started thinking. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm drive myself crazy with thinking. I'm going nowhere with this thinking. It's just worrying. So too much thinking. Worry. How much do we worry? All of that worry is useless thinking. How much do we think about the past? All this, did I say that? Was that okay? I don't know. What happened yesterday with that woman? I don't know. You know, we think about the past. We think about the future. Those, they don't exist. There is no past. It happened. It's done. There is no future. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to be born out of your actions right now. So we're going to think it's a beautiful tool. We're spiritual beings in bodies and we're here to have an experience and we have these fantastic tools like thinking which is overused and tasting and smelling and hearing and feeling and touching and hands that can play instruments you know it's all pretty much a miracle if you allow yourself to look at that way uh, but thinking has taken over, and thinking thinking has taken over because there's so much noise. You know, we want to. I'm gonna think about these reels. I just get a little shot of serotonin or dopamine or whatever these reels are giving me, and think about what it'd be like if I had eight hundred thousand people following me. I don't know what they're thinking about, but it's, you know, it's overused. Too much thinking. It's not a bad thing, but it's way overused. Probably. We should probably be thinking 25% of what we're thing, thinking. The rest of the time, we should be being in a space, in the moment. Finding yourself in the moment, and that's another thing. As you find yourself in the moment and you're able through meditation to kind of create space and just be, we're human beings who've forgotten how to be, but when we can create space and just be, that's where inspiration comes in. That's where things come out of the sky. And not out of the sky, out of the ether, out of the ethos. And I believe this is a communication 
from outside ourselves to lead artists. You know, we get hits and we get inspirations to lead artists to lead humanity because artists lead humanity. So that doesn't happen when you're thinking. The ego is thinking. The ego loves to think. They think about this. I think he likes me. I think she's nasty. I think I'm going to, you know, I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. It's, it's, uh, it's too much. Actually, the ego is thinking because they're terrified that we are going to show up in our power and take over which I believe is what's happening. I believe consciousness is rising very, very quickly. And the reason that the planet feels so rocky is because the darkness is right just as quickly. It's all happening very quickly, you know, kind of like a race. And all we can do is be ourselves, be ourselves, and raise our vibrational level with joy, with gratitude. There are definite ways that you can make yourself feel better. And in that, this is what I think artists, I think, you know, artists think they're their talent. They think, by the way, they think they're their talent. And they get very unhappy with me because I say, you're not your talent. They don't like that much. I say, your talent or your, the reason of your talent is your sensitivity. Artists vibrate at a high, they're very sensitive, and they vibrate at a very high frequency. And it is in that frequency that they receive, you know, Michelangelo. What's in the marble? Let's see, I'll take that away, and that away, and that away. And I don't know if you've ever seen the David, but it, it just thinking about it, it takes your breath away that a human being created that. That comes from the ethos. That's your higher consciousness talking to you. I think you talked about in the book that with the higher frequency, it can have a flip side as well. So yeah. we've seen, let's say, Van Gogh or something where the artist can go to a dark side, yeah. which can be very detrimental. Yeah. And that's something that we have to watch as sensitive people. Yeah, yeah. And how does he get to the dark side? Thinking. What do you think was on Van Gogh's mind? It's a lot of thinking going on. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm too, I'm not, I can't, I don't fit in. I don't, you know, if you just give people the grace of just being, of just stilling themselves, you know, stillness, extraordinary. Just the balance. If I just do that for one second like that, you see the balance of the, I don't know, maybe he likes me, maybe he doesn't like me, maybe I should call, maybe I shouldn't call, maybe maybe there's something on my email, maybe there's not. May, did they email me? I don't know. You know, just practice being, practice stillness, practice breathing into your heart. What I never say his name right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Han. Is that right? I think so. Anyway, the magnificent Buddhist who brought, you know, meditation or mindfulness to the to the West, you know, he says, I breathe in, I know that I am breathing in. I breathe out, I know that I am breathing out. That's it. This is such a gift to self. Five minutes. And it's a gift to self because it's a gift to 
you as a spiritual being. Not thinking, and not your future, or not your past, or not any. Just be here now. Five minutes a day. And you won't, by the way. Your thinking will come in and go, oh, I think that, you know. That's okay. It's not bad. You just go, oh, thinking. Just note it. Go back to breathing. That's the practice. It's like flexing a muscle. There is no wrong way to meditate, you know. I didn't, I didn't want to meditate. I have a busy mind, and I thought, I'll be terrible at it. I, I don't like to do things I'm terrible at. I'm, you know, I'm sure meditation's great, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be good at that. But then I had to, I felt I had to, I had a high blood pressure thing, you know. I said, oh, your blood pressure, so you got to take medications, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm not taking your medications. I'm, I'm very, no medications, thank you. Um, so I thought, I'll do it with diet and, and try diet and meditation. And I did, and it went down to normal. So I took a class, you know, in, in mindfulness. It was wonderful. And I realized, oh, that's how you flex the muscle. You're breathing. I breathe in. I know that I'm breathing out. And I breathe out. I know that I'm breathing out. And then I'm thinking. Oh, okay, I'm thinking. Just note it and go back to breathing. Just note it. That's how you teach yourself to create space. That's a thinking space. This is a being space. Two very different things. Thinking space. Oh, I'm thinking. You don't even have to judge it. Oh, okay, I'm thinking. I think I'll have a heyday with this thinking. I'm going to go right on, you know, with this thinking. I like it. Or, oh, I'm being. Thank God. I needed a break from all that thinking. I'm hoping we can talk about soul speak. Uh, I think in your book you talk about mental chatter, and when we have mental chatter, we enter a space where we can't hear soul speak. Yeah. What is that? Well, this is what I was just really talking about. Um, you know, there are different languages on the planet. We're, we're Just like we're obsessed with thinking, we're obsessed with English. We're obsessed with language. You know, and English, you know, Americans don't even learn other languages because, you know, we got this good language and can't be bothered. They all need to learn to speak English anyway or whatever it is. But, you know, we're, we're obsessed with language. Language is a wonderful tool, but like thinking, it, it's, it's way over, you know, you, you know it's too, too much, too much talking. So, you know... I talk about these things. I hope that they're interesting to you. But, you know, there's, you can have communication with trees and you can have communication with rocks and you can have communication with the ocean and you can have communication with sky and you can have communication with animals. People understand that. You know, they have deep, really loving, wonderful communications with their animals. You can do the same thing with any life form on the planet. And, you know, that... That alone, if you have to listen for your energy exchange with a tree, you know, then you're able to listen to the counsel of your own heart, um, which is really your higher consciousness, which is really all consciousness. You know, we're all the same. We're all expressions of the universe. It's very clever. The universe. I'm going to have all these people and it's, they're all going to have different reflections of me. I'm going to give them all the same tools and go. And then, you know, the person, you know, lives in a matrix. You know, they, they think and they create 
their life. You're doing it. So if you're doing it going east, you could just as well turn the corner and go west with your own thinking and your own actions and your own desires. Um, so the question was soul speak. How do you listen to your soul? You know, that happens in stillness, but it also happens by accepting the fact that it's a different language. It's, you know, thinking is in English. You don't think, you know, in anything but English. You know, all your thoughts are like, you know, they're language thoughts. Um, listening to your soul is not a language. It's an energy exchange, like with trees, you know. When, when I was little, you know, I was, I was really lonely. Um, so did, did I talk about the fact that, you know, I, I had parents and they were artists, but they kind of just put you on the planet and said go. And there wasn't really a lot of, um, you know, hugging or cherishing. Cherishing is such a beautiful word that we should cherish each other, like a husband and wife cherish each other. What does that mean? That means that you're going to practice kindness. That means you're going to practice the gratitude of having that person in your life. That's what cherishing is. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't remember that being a child, and I, I really thought it should be there. You know, I had a lot of ideas of what a parent should be, and, you know, people should listen to me and acknowledge me and you know, I had these ideas and I wasn't getting, I, I wasn't doing well with people. I wasn't doing well with people and I didn't find them authentic. But I lived in the woods. We lived, we had woods surrounding us. So I would just go to the woods all day. And, you know, it's like being in a Disney movie. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, you sound like Disney, Jocelyn, but I don't care. It's true. You know, I had relationships with trees and this one was, you know, female and this one was male and this one I talked to about certain things and this one not and that one I didn't really have a relationship with and that one, I don't know, something went wrong with that one. I don't want to go over there. It scares me. You know, I was working with energy fields and very communicative and I felt they raised me. I had certain trees that I really took counsel from. Now, what does that mean? I mean, did they speak to me? No. But they, it's like having a chiropractic adjustment. They would, I would maybe ask questions of the tree or I would look to the tree with my energy field of I am unhappy and lost. And the tree would send back something to my heart that was so soothing. It's okay. We're here. And so that was kind of my natural state with things. And then one day I realized I could communicate a little more because, you know, I was going to school and it was my birthday was coming up and I felt very <laughs> un-birthday-esque. Uh, I didn't think this was going to be kind of a celebration of my dreams, which would just be for somebody to see me and go, Hi, how are you? What are you doing here? What do you want to do? You know? Um... I see you. I see that you're special. I see you've come for a reason. So I was feeling very sorry for myself, and I was going, I just don't get it. I don't get why they don't see me. I mean, I, I came here. I thought, you know, I would make my parents happy. I should see that joy in their eyes, you know. Where's the joy in the eyes, you know? They just look kind of worried to me. I, I don't get it. And I heard this was not language, but the closest thing, a concept concept and this artist worked with concept all the time the thing comes in not as language it comes in as concept and how do you know it's concept because it hits your heart something moves in you and you go what and it came in you know we're here 
and we might just have to be enough. And I went, you know, okay, that's good. It would be nice to have a third dimensional person (laughs) somewhere down the line, you know. But I heard it loud and clear. And from that time on, I could kind of get around and feel like, okay, this is my place. My place is these kinds of communications, and then later in life it was to pass those gifts on or those concepts to others who might enjoy them. You know, I knew there were going to be lots of them going, that's fine. That's fine. You, you can't be responsible for people's response. You can only be responsible for your intention and what you offer as a human being. What's the difference between thinking and knowing? Well, we think we know a lot. And we think we know out of judgment. You know, we're a very judgmental society. And, and, it, and we're kind of desperate in the, in, the, in the, you know, thinking we know. We got to know. We got to know. I mean, really, I got to know. So I'm going to look at this thing in order to know. And I'm going to know when I judge it. Because when you judge it, you go, oh, I know it's la la la. I know it's this. I know it's that. So that is a kind of a desperate need to think you know. And it serves the ego well because the ego feels smart. And it protects us because, oh, I know. I don't have to go near there because I know what that is. So thinking that you know comes out of judgment, and of which there's a lot. When you know that you know... (laughs) You know it because you know it, you feel it. It's visceral. This is why we have this uh, degree of sensitivity. And, um, you know, people say, oh, you're clairvoyant. No, not clairvoyant. Just a higher tuning on that intuitive, intuitive senses. You know, people talk about um, emotional uh, intelligence. The first time I heard that, Every once in a while, I go to a therapist, and, and I go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. But um, I had a therapist once say, oh, you have, a, you, you have a really strong emotional intelligence. And I said, what is that? And she described it as you know, a very high intuition toward this is truth or this is serving me. It's a very high intuition. Which makes sense because you have to have that, you know, when you're growing up and you're unsure. So you start observing things like crazy to figure out what is going on. Now, you're not observing these things to judge them. You're observing these things for survival. So you're open to what is it. You're really looking at it and feeling it up. Right? So that's a highly attuned intuition that's knowing when you know everybody's felt it you know I just knew I met him and then I knew I met the guy I was going to marry or I knew this was the house for me when I walked in the door or I knew you know people talk about it in that way that's all that is it's a hit with intuition and then a trust and then a moving forward with it Um, but there's a lot of thinking you know you know thinking I know I know oh yeah I know I got it sort of a glib, judgmental, you know, thing. And judgment is something that, it's another one of those things you want to 
separate out a little bit and go, God, I'm being really judgmental, aren't I? I'm just being really judgmental of this person. Um, during the pandemic, a, a couple of things have happened, you know, because we don't see anybody. I mean, we've been pretty isolated, my husband and I, for a long time. We do see people, but now that I'm promoting the book and we promote the film, I'm meeting all kinds of people. So sometimes, you know, I, I'm not going to say, but, you know, somebody will say, oh, we want you on your pad podcast. And I'll kind of look into them and see them. And sometimes I'll go, oh, they're from so this place, and I don't know anything about that place, and they're not going to know anything about me. And my first thing is protection to protect myself because it's a little nervous making, putting yourself out there, particularly having not done it for three years. So the first thing might be judgmental. I start looking for ways not to do that thing. And then I go and I do it, and I talk to this person. I talked to a guy in Virginia in coal mining, you know, and I thought, you know, the first thing was like, this is meh. I love this man. I love So when we open ourselves to the human being, the other human being, it's, it's really quite a spectacular thing. And that's a reach to know each other on a human level as opposed to, oh, I know what that is. That's a guy from coal mining company in Kansas who's, you know, wants to be a radio host and whatever it is, you know. Uh, and then I turned out to be a high school teacher, which is, you know, I have, they're like firefighters to me, high school teachers. <laughs> right now, I think they're the great heroes of the world. And, you know, after the we did an interview together, we spoke as two human beings about the state of education and his dedication to teaching. And, you know, you, you can't get there if you judge somebody before you even meet them. So it's all about moving forward with an open heart, really. We, we, we all need to, to, to find that stillness in ourselves and open our heart and walk forward with an open heart. Because what are you going to protect yourself from, you know? COVID, okay, wear a mask. You know, I mean, we don't need to protect ourselves. We need to live. We need to find ourselves. We need to listen to ourselves. We need to find a way out through guidance. Sure. Well, I mean, it's understandable, but you don't know someone's agenda when you come into an interview, or you could say the same for an audition. Mm -hmm. Someone could say, uh, you know, I love this person's work, and I, and I know I'm perfect for it, and then they go and they're met with just a stone wall and, and they're crushed because they thought they were going to see me and they were going to go, you, yeah. you're the one. Yes. And it turns out they barely, they didn't even get your name. What's your name again? Okay. Well, and, and this is, that's so beautifully said. And not only that, that was a terrible experience for actors to have to constantly go in for auditions. And it's as if the people auditioning them were trained to be like the parents I told you about, like nothing, nada, not see you. For an artist not to be seen, even when they're working from their heart, no matter where they're working from, whether it's a concept in their head or a concept in their art, for them not to be seen, it's just, it's criminal really, because they're the ones who are going to lift us up out of this stuff. We should be going, thank you for coming in. But so how do you handle that? You emulate what you want. If you didn't like the way your mother did it, 
then do it that way for your daughter and you'll heal yourself and you'll pass on and evolve the next evolution to it. If you don't like the way the people are behaving toward you, change your attitude. Don't walk out feeling justified in, ain't it awful? They're really shitty to me. They didn't even, see, once again, I'm right. I think I'm right. Once again, the last 10 years, they're all terrible. You know, it's really hard if that person is stone-faced. If you don't take it personally, because it certainly has nothing to do with you. If you don't take it personally, you just look at them, think maybe they had a bad day, and you look at them and lock eyes and go, hi, how are you? They're going to respond. If you offer them your heart, they're going to respond. And my counsel to my actress is, that's your job. Change the world by example. Go in and be, you know, they say be the change you want to see. That's a real thing. It's a little harder to do than to say, but it's a wonderful practice. We are what we practice, period. You know, if we don't practice anything, then the world's going to be happening to us and we're going to be like, you know, at effect to whatever comes into our lives. You know, if we practice certain things, we practice meditation so we can get a handle on when we're behaving in ways we don't like, we can look at it and go, yeah, I'm behaving in a way I really don't like. You know, when we practice gratitude, we can raise our, we can raise our, our, our vibration at will. When we practice doing the things that bring us joy, we raise our vibration. We begin to, to, to take our life in the directions that we want to take it. It's, it's really simple. It, it's really simple. It's just a little difficult believing in simplicity to that degree because you say in the book that the the first piece of art that an artist creates is their perfect life or the life that's best suited for them well hopefully but unfortunately you know but that's the way i'd like people to look at it you know people go well i'm not an artist they go you are an artist your life is your first masterpiece you know you're either creating that or you're creating it, whether you are consciously creating it and moving it in the directions that you want to, or whether you're creating it with your own thoughts, whether they're negative or in the middle, you know, you're just thinking all the time, thinking, thinking, looking at screens, you know, just bubbling along. It's a reflection of everything you do and everything you say and everything you think combines together to make your future. That's going to be your next moment. This moment is going to unfold into that moment, and that moment's going to unfold to the next. So if this moment you have brought yourself joy on purpose, you've lifted your own frequency out of your own practices, then that will flow into a different kind of moment than if you hadn't done that consciously. Does that make sense? So you, you give people, um, or you ask, sorry, not give, but you, you ask your students to do different things to raise their vibrations, whether it's just taking a walk in nature or petting an animal. Well, when they get morose, <laughs> you know, usually I'm teaching just acting. I mean, I teach a lot of things, but, but actors get morose. People get morose and they get complainy. And, you know, I'm like, what are you complaining about? Do you have a roof over your head? Yeah. Do you have friends? Yeah. You know, do you have a car? Yeah. Do you, can you eat? Yeah. You know, what are you complaining about? Yeah, but there, there are righteously terrible things going on in the world. But you'll do better with those things when you gain a little control 
over your own emotional state. You can call it vibration, you can just call it emotional state. But that's in your charge. That's your responsibility. And if you're walking around like a sad sack, I call it, I would say Eeyore, you know. So, you know, when the student would be in a critique and they would go, yeah, you know, it's a thing and a thing. And I'd go, oh, it's like Eeyore, you know. You know, Eeyore and Pooh just walked around just sort of morose and sad all the time. Well, you know, what's the movie where they go? Get out of it. Snap out of it. <laughs> you want to smack them? Go, smack, snap out of it. Instead, I give them exercises. You know, sometimes they get into it collectively, like right now. We are collectively in a kind of a morose agreement about the pandemic. Meanwhile, the pandemic has made some important adjustments, by the way, in life. But we don't look at those. We just go, we're morose. We're like, oh boy, the pandemic. You know, ain't it awful? But it's brought about some group things. But I would come to class sometimes and I would feel they were in a, a collective unhappiness. The whole room, you can feel it. You know, sometimes I come into class and everybody's like, let's go, we got work to do. That's what I like to create out of. And if the room isn't like that, I'm going to address it. That's a little different than some acting classes, you know, but it's like, we're going to work from up here. We're not going to work from down here. And if you're working from down here, sometimes I just make them stand up and jump. It's just that whole room is jumping up. No, 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 no. And they're doing it like this. I go, no, it has to be at the same time. So now they have to listen to each other. And then they finally get it at the same time. By the time they get it at the same time, they're laughing and their energy is up. Other times, I think it's, you know, there was a, a certain election that happened and there was a certain collective morosity I don't know moroseness in the room and I go what's going on they're like mm. so I I said when is, when is the last time you when is the last time you went out into nature when's the last time you took a day I take days in nature because I can't live without it when's the last time you know nothing nothing came the room was dead and I went seriously when is the last time you went to you know the gardens or the ocean or the mountains or took a walk in nature when is the last time nothing so I assigned them to go out it could be the mountains could be could be a park but you had to go alone you had to turn off your electronics and you had to just be you had to just sit there and observe things around the grass the tiny things the large trees the ocean the sand the little crabby bugs in the sand, just if you observe, you know, you stop thinking when you observe. So a lot of my teaching has to do with observation. So I should just go out and, and, and observe and turn off the phone and do it for an hour. And uh, they came back to class. And I said, oh, and I said, and then when you come home, I want you to find a rock or let the rock find you and bring it to class, you know. And before you pick it up, I would say, just be, before you pick it up, I would ask it permission because that rock has lived there for quite some time and you are moving it from its natural environment. So I would ask permission and if you feel it's okay, you know, take this rock that you spotted in a special way and, you know, as a, as a thank you for this experience that you had and bring it to class. So I came to class and there were these 50 rocks lined up on the apron of the class. They were beautiful. And the room was just crackling with 
energy and they wanted to talk about they wanted to talk mostly about how disconnected they were from nature, how powerful it was. You know, one young girl, maybe the youngest in class, had never spent time in nature. That's what these telephones and social media is doing to us. Had never thought, it never crossed her mind, I think I'll go to the beach by myself and take in the power of the ocean. I think I'll take a walk in the woods and commune with trees. You know, in Europe they have a whole forest bathing because they understand the power of, of walking in forests. And they were crackling. It was fantastic. Anyway, the young one got scared. She, she said she was really, it was so big. The energy was so big and so different to her that it scared her. And I said, well, were you scared like a bear was coming scared? Or were you excited in a new kind of a way? And she said, I was excited. And the minute it was over, I was, she said, I only did 20 minutes because it was so big. She said, but the minute it was over, I wanted to do it again, like a roller coaster. So, you know, simple, simple, simple things are very powerful. Truth is very simple. Lies are very complicated. The more complicated something is, the more lies it has in can you explain how someone quieting their mind can lead them to their life's purpose? Okay. Quieting your mind or stilling yourself by breathing into your heart is taking you to a place of being, as I've talked about. It's taking you to a still space where you can just be. In that space, you can ask yourself questions. This is the same space that artists go to ask questions for inspiration. So with an actor, you always, you're always acting in a place. That's number one, the environment. Where, where am I? Most of the time, actors are not moved by their environment at all. You know, that, that doesn't matter to them. They're, they're busy acting. They're busy saying the words. Um, but, you know, you are in an environment and I train actors to touch the chair, to feel things, and first of all, to make choices about where am I? Where am I? What makes it so? So if you're, you know, in class, I'm in a bedroom. Well, what makes it so? Well, I'm going to bring these things. It's my bedroom, so I'm going to bring my bedding. I'm going to bring just enough of my own things, my props, and my personal possessions to help me believe in this space. If you're an actor and you're on a set and you can't bring those things, you go around the bedroom, that's your bedroom, and you talk, this is my bed, which side do I sleep in? What's in the drawer? You know, I'm a pain in the ass on set, I'm all over the place, this is my thing, I gotta claim it, I have to believe in it. So, the first thing is that space, so, I ask, you know, you might ask the question, well, where am I in this scene? And then it's obvious, you know, you're in your bedroom. Yeah, but where could I be? Well, you could be in the kitchen. Well, where else could I be? I could be in the garden. What if I was in the garden? Now, something lit up with you in the garden. Well, how would the garden work? So it's all a series of questions. And then how do I create a garden? Well, I'm just going to put three or four plants. I'm going to put this chair. And then that's going to be my garden. What makes it my garden? Well, what are you doing in the garden? 
what are you doing in the garden? Because it, it doesn't come alive for an actor unless he's doing something, unless he brings it into behavior, because the story is told in behavior. So I went on that little detour to say that's where you ask questions from, is that space. So when you still yourself and you breathe into your heart and you ask yourself, you know, what do I want to do in life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? In that stillness, something can come in, whether it's inspiration to answer a question you're posing as an artist or whether it's inspiration, your higher self, to help you along the way to knowing what it is you want to do and what your purpose in life is. I think you had used an example in the book of a, a gentleman who had turned 50 yeah. and he was a police officer and he realized this was his, what he felt was his one chance to become an actor. And so yeah. you had him create his space in the locker room, getting his ready. environment. That, you know, this uh, environment exercise, which I, I've been writing about for years and years and years, but it is the most powerful thing because... With actors, you don't give them words at first. They only have two things. They create an environment, and then they do the things they really do in that environment. So first they have to observe their life. So this is the, the training always begins with observing. So they observe their life for their life's rhythms. So this guy came to me, and, you know, I interview every student, mostly for attitude. It's all about attitude because, you know, I'm, I'm old and I don't want anybody with my crappy attitude that I had when I was, you know, an actor. So I want people with happy attitudes and to create, a, you know, very uh, a group that reflects all of humanity, all ages, all colors, all sexes. You know, I like it even, even amount of men and women and such. So this guy came to me and I was interviewing him and he said... Uh, he said he wanted to be an actor, and you know he he always wanted to be an apple actor, but he thought it was a pipe dream, and so he kept putting it away. Do the right thing, he became a cop, but now he was fifteen. He thought I'm never going to get to do it. I I want to do it, and I don't know how he found me, but that's the universe always kind of puts those connections together. So he found me, and I went, oh okay. So I wanted to check on his uh, commitment. So I said, uh, are you a good cop? And he said, yeah, I'm a great cop. I go, oh, yeah? What makes you a great cop? He goes, because I care. I really care. I go, excellent. Can you give that same commitment to acting in my class? He said, yeah. I said, okay, you, you, you can come to class. Now, this guy is a beginner beginner, and he's coming to class with people who are currently shooting series. I put them all in the same class. It's all attitude. And he did his first exercise. And the first exercise, the environment exercise, you create a place, right? So first he observed. He observed himself in his locker room to the police station. And he observed every detail of his behavior, and he noted that. And he rehearsed that without the locker room so he could figure out how he was going to create a locker room on stage in the theater. And then he created this locker room. And he did those behaviors ex with the same investment. It's different, though, because now he's consciously doing them. He said he did things, inevitably actors discover this. In observing his own behavior, he discovered that he did things he never knew that he did. He just did them automatically. Now he's doing them consciously. And he's really investing in the behavior. He's really doing it consciously exactly as he does it in life. 
that brings an actor to the now, that brings him to the present moment, just doing and believing in that space without words, without emotions, without any story, just being and doing. That's like this. Those are the first two steps. This guy did this exercise, and he was, he was about to leave the exercise. It was almost finished, and he had a thought. He went to his locker room. We saw when he, it was just a box, but he opened up the box and had a picture of a guy on the thing, which was a buddy who had died in service. And he t had a second thought, and he, put, he undid his jacket, and he put on a bulletproof vest, and he put his jacket back on, and he looked at the guy, very simple, and he left the scene. That was the end of the exercise. I could have put a camera on this. This is the guy's first time ever on a stage in his life. He didn't even do little plays as a child. He, this is his first time ever. And uh, he was beautiful. He was just a person. When you are really behaving as a person and doing things exactly as you would and responding to an environment exactly as you would in life, this is acting. So simple, it's very difficult to allow yourself to be that simple. We learn by example, we change by decision, we move forward with intention. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers it. You know, sometimes I, I read things from my own book and I don't remember them at all because a lot of it is, it just comes in. It just was very, very fluid experience. But, you know, we certainly learn by example. You know, we're set up that way as beings, you know. Uh, we grow up, we learn to walk, we see our parents walk and we see them eating a certain way. We, you know, we learn everything by those around us as an example for quite a long time. The thing is, the next one is trickier. We change by decision, right? That's a little trickier because you have to be conscious to make a decision. But we have moments where life sometimes pushes, you know, there, there's something happens in life and we go, oh, we make this decision. We, we get this impulse, this very strong impulse that we have to uh, make a decision. And those are, and we can all find those periods of time in our life that where we made really important decisions. Um, my husband is a filmmaker. He was a director and he was a teacher at USC. And this is one of the first things he would ask his class to, you know, identify a decision that they made in their life that was life-changing, that moved them in a new direction. So we all, and, and they love it, and they come up with these things, and then he shows them how this is a great uh, seed for a film, is because these are, in, you know, they're they happen from your heart. I need to make a decision here. They're big, they're conscious. We move forward, the intention is the practice, you know. We are all really worried, spend a lot, waste a lot of time on worrying what other people think of us. I, I did, anyway. And if you're an actor, actors are like, you know, it's, do they like me? Do they not like me? What do I have to do to get this job? How do I have to act to get this job? You know, that's the problem that they kind of hear the part in their head and then they go into the audition and they deliver this part that they hear in their head that came from the words on the page. And having been on both sides of that experience, I can tell you that 90% of the actors who come in, they don't even come in anymore, they have to film it, but 
90% of the actors who came in for an audition would give the same audition. It all sounded the same way. It came off the page and hit their ear in the same way. So um, intention is everything. Um, when you move forward with intention, an actor moves forward like, I don't, I hear that. I hear the call of the wild. I hear the words. I hear how it seems like it wants to be played. But I'm going to intentionally ask some questions here. What could this be? What could be going on? What could he be thinking? What could he be responding to? What could he want? What could is the question. And then you repeat those questions. That's the intentionality in art, in acting. That's the intentionality. What could it be? I want to discover something that rings true in my own heart so that I can make a discovery, because without discovery, it's not yours. But I made this discovery. Now I want to play this. Now I have something to offer that comes from me and nobody else. It doesn't come from my thinking of what I heard when I read the words. It comes from a discovery. I asked some questions. I discovered this thing. Oh, I can give it that. I can give myself to that. So intentionality... I intend to live a life where I'm connected to myself. I intend to live a life with a certain amount of stillness in it so I can listen to the environment and to what's outside of myself. I intend to be kind, so I'm going to practice that. I intend to help others, so I'm going to make a list of things that I can contribute to. I intend to contribute. I tell actors and uh, others in the book because we're now taking that to other people who want to live a more intentional life you know what what are your intentions you have to look at your intentions when you make a decision ask yourself how does this contribute if your intention is to contribute as a human being to help lift the planet up a little bit then with your decisions you ask yourself how does this contribute does this contribute does this thing that i'm doing contribute to my health, to my family, to my community, to the world at large, does it contribute? That's a great, great intention is to walk forward with asking yourself, you know, I want to contribute. How do I contribute? How do I make the right decisions? How do I become the best person I can be? It's that simple. Imagine if we were taught as little children, your job is to become the best person you can be. Not your job is to learn what date the, you know, war of two savages happened. I can't even think of the wars, you know what I mean? I, that doesn't stick doesn't stick. Who needs that? Nobody needs that. What we need are people. There's, there's a, something magic about autonomy. Autonomy is being able to move forward with self. And that happens because you have gotten to a place in your life where you say, I trust my intentions. I, I've been intentional enough to know that I trust my intentions. So can't really spend, I'm not going to spend time worrying about whether somebody likes me or not because my intentions are correct. I intend as a teacher to see the best in every student. I, you know, in life, could I say I like this one better than that one? You know, maybe. But as a teacher, no, there's no I like him, I don't like him. 
He's in the room. He's come to me for help. I intend to listen. I intend to help as best as I can. I intend to help them be as good as they can be. So this intentionality is, is really the way to move forward in life. But you have to know in what direction. You have to have the questions before that, which is, what do I want to do, you know? And then, does it contribute? And then, I'm going to intend to live a life. And now my choice is, is does this intention help that along? Or does this intention not help that along? I'm going to always choose the path that helps along my desire to, uh, to be the best human being I can be. I, 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 you know, if I had another life, I would have a school. I would have a school. I would have, I would teach people from a very young age to, you know, like, you know, what is it you want to do and, and uh, how to become the best people that they can be. Isn't that what's, it's pretty simple. Isn't that what it should be all about? I think that's pretty simple. So many things I want to talk about here, but I, I know you think, you said in the book that you loved acting, but you didn't like the, the job of acting. And, and the, the auditions and, and maybe the rejection. But you knew you wanted to help people. You felt that you did have a calling as a teacher. What if you have students that come in and they say, you know what, my intention is, is pretty pure and clear and I want to make projects or be part of projects that, you know, expose the greater good or enable people to see things in a new light. But they're hitting like a roadblock and they don't know why. So their intention seems pretty pure. It's not just to have a certain amount of followers or whatever. That'd be nice, but but they're they're hitting this roadblock. What do you tell them? They're maybe they're not booking roles. Maybe the cast that they got together it fell apart. Yeah, there's no real one answer to that because there's so many different ways it could be blocked. You know what you're talking about is I have an intention. I think the intention is, you know, a valuable intention. Um, I've lined certain things up behind it, um, and it's not unblocked. It's not working. So, you know, in that case, you have to look at, uh, holistically at the actor. You know, how is their thinking? Are they really entertaining a lot of negative thinking, a lot of self-judgment? Uh, do they have a perfectionism syndrome? There's a lot of different ways to, even though your intention is pure, you have to clear up some bad personal habits uh, of presentation, it could be that, you know what I mean? But the, the basis is to give them the tools to examine things very clearly. And you know, they want help. So, you know, if you ask things like, you know, are you being, are you judgmental? Are you hard on you? Oh yeah, I'm really hard on myself. Or, you know, I say, are you hard on others? No, I'm not, I'm not so hard on others. I, I'm just hard on myself. You know, it makes me better. You know, they think it makes them better. It doesn't make you any better. It's just judgment. And by the way, I always tell them, hard on self, hard on others, hand in hand. So you may recognize one more than the other, but I'm sorry to tell you, you know, you're judgment, judging yourself, you're judging others. And exactly nothing will come of that except some false, slightly stomach-turning sense of false security. Jocelyn, how does imagination cultivate the life of our dreams? Well, to have a dream, to have a life of your dreams, you have to dream. And dreaming is imagination. You use your imagination to dream. 
you you use your imagination. You know, um, Einstein talks about imagination. I can't give you a bunch of clever ones, but you should look them up because Einstein and imagination, unbelievable. Another person that I admire and adore and, and, and was lucky enough to spend time with as a child is Buckminster Fuller. Buckminster Fuller talks about imagination. Look at Buckminster Fuller's imagination. He went against all grains. Bucky Fuller um, designed the geodesic dome. Nobody had seen a shape like this. This was an architecture that didn't exist before. But he dared to dream. It's really that thing of dare to dream. When you dare to dream, you engage your imagination. Your imagination is the most powerful thing you have. One of the greatest problems with young people today is that they're not reading. Reading is singularly the greatest exercise for your imagination. If you and I read the same book, we make two completely different movies in our heads. You have to visualize the movie. You have to imagine the movie from the book to your head, to your imagination, to create a movie. You create one, I create another. When we watch a movie, we are delivered the pictures. And so we pretty much see the same movie. Um, when you read, you know, you have to make pictures in your head. And this is the problem with, with uh, today, literacy today, is all the pictures are being delivered. And they're being delivered on television. They're being delivered on your computer. They're being delivered on your cell phone. They're just all these pictures. And advertising, it's just all pictures delivered. So we get lazy. And we don't think we have to make any pictures in our head. Well, if we can't make pictures in our head, if we can't, if we don't read in order to engage our imagination, if we can't have a dream because our imagination is flaccid, meaning it has not been exercised, we, we become slaves. We become, you know, pushed around by anything that comes in our viewpoint. We can be led by others with ill intentions. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit now and tell you, you know, I think when we look back on this time in history, we'll look at it as um, corporate terrorism. Because it is really this kind of corporation, this selling of everything under the sun um, that is stripping away imagination. You strip away imagination, you strip away possibility. You strip away intelligence. You, you strip away greatness. Imagination and greatness, same thing. Nothing great ever happened on the planet without first being imagined. There is nothing great about selling Nikes. There is nothing great about buying Every small mom and pop organization just gobbling up that small business so you can have, uh, oh, did you have another quarter that I haven't gotten from you? Let me reach in there and get that quarter too. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's astounding. And it's, it, you know, if we don't do something about it, it's going to take, 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 take down the human race. The planet will be fine. Because she doesn't care about time. You know, if it takes her another 200,000 years to grow those old, beautiful trees again, she, she knows what she's doing. Bucky Fuller said, you know, we should listen to nature because she knows exactly what she's doing. And if we just studied a scientist's nature, 
And we took that and rolled the same principles into our own sustainability in life. We would have no problems. We would have no problems. You know, Bucky, uh, went, he was a mathematician. He was a genius. He was the Einstein of our time, but people don't know him as well. Bucky Fuller designed he could put the entire planet on the island of Haiti in geodesic domes and have every man, woman, and child a millionaire. He'd proved these things mathematically. It didn't make him very popular with, uh, with corporate world, but you know, he, he did that. He designed two or three cars, but you know, they never they were wonderful cars, but no, these people were making money on cars. We're not gonna let you in that that playing field. You know, I saw him at the UN, he, you know, there's a map. They finally got the map of the world correct, a flat map, because they couldn't do a map of the world flat without it getting warped and this way or that way. So, of course, Bucky Fuller came along and said, oh, I know how to do it. And so he did it. It's a flat map, and you kind of see it. It, it goes like that. It, it goes in waves, kind of like that. And so to introduce this map, they drew the map on the floor of the UN, right? giant version of this map with all the countries and everything. And then they hired actors. And then Bucky did it mathematically so that, you know, this, you know, in relation to that, so the United States had, you know, lots of people and, and Africa, they could barely stay in the space in Africa because there were too many people. And then some countries only had two people. And then he did the resources. And he did kind of coins and he did that mathematically. And of course, the United States was rolling, piles rolling and rolling in money. And then there were countries that had like one chip. This is, this is our resource. And then, you know, being actors, they started to improvise. And so guys in the United States are like throwing money into other countries and stuff. But anyway, this is all imagination. You know, this all comes from his imagination. He had one of the great imaginations of our time. Imagination is greatness. Do you think most artists, actors, writers, what have you, come from a family situation where creativity and imagination were encouraged or discouraged and it was an act of rebellion? You have your head in the clouds all the time. Get your head out of that book. You know, I'm sure both of those things are true. I like to think of it as artists come in with a purpose. Then they just forget it. So they have to be reminded. But I think both of those things are true. Some of them say, you know, I'm going to be an artist. And some of them say, oh, yeah, art, I should do art. But I think it's a knowingness. I think a lot of times they come in knowing, you know, I, I'm different. And they, uh, very often you hear this thing that I had as a child. I feel different. I don't belong. I, I can't quite fit in. These people don't seem authentic to me. They're not behaving honestly, but I don't really understand that. You know, they, they feel a little betwixt and between. And so it is the struggle to alleviate that that uh, begins to stimulate, you know, the imagination. You know, I would go into the garden. One of the greatest gifts my mother gave me was her gardens. I mean, she'd give them to me, but she was a unbelievable gardener and she would have these gardens that, that some of the flowers you'd walk by and they were eye high they, they were like hello and you would so you know I would go in those gardens for four and five hours and take little things I'd build little villages 
how was this imagination stimulated? Because I wasn't comfortable around people. So I think a lot of artists come in that way. They come in a little different and they're not comfortable around people and so they begin to use their imagination to alleviate that discomfort. And then what if an artist becomes a hit? And now, dance for us again. And now they have to be on in front of other people. Yeah. And wait a minute, my comfort zone was creating this thing over here and I'm used mm. to being alone. And What happens then? Well, that's, that's tough. That becomes very difficult. I mean, there are two ways that that happens. You know, I, I've worked, you know, I work as a creative consultant, so I've worked for a bunch of movie stars. And many of them wanted to be a movie star. That, that's what they wanted to do. And, you know, some of them, I think, you know, they, they came in to do that. I mean, it just is so apparent. And then when I would get there, the big secret would be they're not trained. They, they go on this desire and this work ethic and this goal and this intention to, to it's not to be the best, it's to be the most popular, um, which often comes from, you know, a, a not enough attention feeling. So I'm going to get this massive attention. Anyway, the first thing usually when I meet them, because I was raised with these painters and dancers and actors and writers extraordinaire at the dinner table, I don't really care who people are. I, I don't care if you have a big name, which is, makes me popular among those people because it's very rare. And then after a few months, it makes, months, it makes me unpopular because they're used to a, you know, a certain thing that I'm not interested in. Anyway, the first thing that happens is they kind of admit that um, I'm not trained, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm always impressed with them telling me that, you know, being so honest. But my answer is, of course you know what you're doing. Look at your career. Look at where you've brought yourself. You did this, this is no accident. And so my first step is to draw up all the things they're doing right. So we go through all their films and their process and, the, and then they can see, oh, every film, I do have a technique. I do do these 10, 20 things. And then I go, oh, we go from what you're doing right into what else is there? What other opportunities are there? And then I would go and do that work for them because they're very busy. You know, and a movie star is promoting their last film, working on the film they're going to shoot next, and bringing up the films of the future, trying to find those. So they don't have a whole lot of time, so I would do that work. Then you have the person that you're, you mentioned, which is the person who is in it for the love and they just love acting and suddenly they are a hit overnight. And that's very scary and, and very difficult. And, you know, movie stars love the attention. They, they, they're very comfortable in that light. Uh, but not everybody is and not every actor is. And we've, you know, part of the problems that we have today is that, you know, people are so critical and they're so... Your audience is so expanded because of social media. So where you would do theater and maybe some people would be, you know, in the back, you know, in the alley after you performed and they'd say, can I have your autograph? And you go, yeah, that's a lot. And that was really nice. 
Now, you know, you have to have social media, you have to have Instagram, you have to have, I don't know, TikTok and MyLock and like, like, it's, it's crazy to me, but you have to have those things. And that brings more, more, more people. This is really one of the reasons I gave up acting is that I'm a shy by nature. You know, I want to be in the woods. I don't want, you know, all those people looking at me. I mean, that was one reason. And, and the other reason is I'm too alpha. I'm too alpha to take my hat in my hand. And, you know, I was a trained actor, so I would work really hard in an audition. I would bring the audition to the people with my little hat in my hand. I would say, most of the time, it's no. I don't know, 19 out of 20 or no. And, you know, I would have put that time in and the hair and the makeup and the wardrobe and the driving and the thing. This was a six hours on this just to get there, four hours in rehearsals maybe. That's 10 hours, 12 hours. And, you, and you're going to, no, no, I'm, no, I'm not going to put myself in that position. That's me. That's me. I, I just too alpha. I, I'd rather run the show and be nice to people and, you know, have it go the way that I want it to go. But not everybody's that alpha. So you have to find your way and what's intolerable to you and what's tolerable to you and what you can invent for yourself. How do I make it go the way that I want to go? But lastly, those those actors who hit it and then discover I'm not doing well with all this attention, you know, that's a difficult road and they need support. They need to be heard. We all need to be heard, really. They need to be heard and they need to spend real time creating it the way they want it to go. Okay, now you're hit. Now you can have anything you want in the world career-wise. What does that look like? Let's just take some time and breathe and say, what does that look like? You know, I introduce people to the concept of theater because, you know, theater actors can work, women particularly, you know, it expands their lifespan as an artist to do theater. And there's nothing more fun than doing theater in New York and in London. So, you know, you kind of open up the possibilities and... Uh, really are sensitive to to the difficulty of that, of getting fame when you didn't really want it. You know, you didn't really ask for it. You were just in it for the work. Jocelyn, you say we are not our emotions. Can you explain? <laughs> certainly feels it. I know. <laughs> People really don't like it when I take away their emotions. But, uh, yeah, no, we're not our emotions. We do love them. You know, I was just saying, if you, if you think about this, if you accept the fact that we are spiritual beings in bodies, we are energetic beings in bodies. So we gave ourselves this body, we have sense, you know, we have touch, taste, sight, all a miracle, right? We have all this, we can make other babies, new people, we can do all these things, and we have this emotion. We are here as energetic beings. The universe has created all itself in all of these now, I don't know how many people are on the planet, but it's way too many to experience itself. What better way to experience anything than emotion? We love emotion. But emotion is a product of our thinking. 
If we're not thinking, we're, we're not emotional. We get emotional because we think, I lost him, he left me, I don't have my man anymore. We cry. We're emotional, I didn't get the job, they don't like me. We're emotional because I'm afraid I'm gonna die. You're not dead, but the bear is coming. And so your body goes, I'm afraid I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. You know, it's kicked up by, you know, thoughts. So if we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions. We are energetic beings in bodies here to have an experience. And, you know, emotion is a great way to do it. Emotion also produces energy, you know. Um, I, I saw this with both my parents in, in their latter years when, you know, they were getting close to leaving. My mother was very dramatic, and she could be dramatic over eggs. She could be dramatic over butter. She, I mean, big drama. It's not right. She was a little affected. It's not right. I can't believe they sent me this. They know, how long have they known me? They've known me for, they, I think it's hostile, hostile to send me this kind of butter. And I would watch her, and it, it's like, when people kick that up, it, it splatters on you. And then you, it's very infectious. And then you get mad at them and you go, you know, do you have to really seriously, does it have to be like this? I mean, you've done this my whole life, I don't like it. And now you're in this emotional thing. So I think I write about it one day. I was in the kitchen, my mother was really carrying on about something. She was also blind. Uh, I mean, not completely, but almost. And she was old and she was alone and cranky and she was carrying on. And I was getting so mad at her because, you know, I was just home for a trip and trying to have a good time and really we were just making eggs. And I decided because I had had so much training with meditation, I decided I'm just going to observe her, which is also what I teach. Just watch her without being her daughter without having this history together. You know, we all have our history with our parents and we're so judgmental and out to be, you're wrong and I'm right and you're worse than I am and I'm better and whatever it is. So I decided I'm just gonna observe her and I just went into that space and she was carrying on and, and you know, I began to see that she was unhappy and that she was old and that she was kicking up this emotion because it gave her energy and it made her feel more energetic and alive because otherwise she wanted to feel like, I just, I'm almost gone, I'm not here. So, you know, uh, we're not our emotions, but we will utilize them in different ways. We'll use them to make other people feel guilty. We'll use them to get sympathy. We'll use them to convince ourselves of certain things. Mostly we're just using them for the experience of them. Love. You know, this neutral space that I'm talking about kind of is love, but it's not like the love that we think about because most of the time with love that we think about, we're all wrapped up with emotion. Do they love me back as much as I love them? You know, love gets all complicated. But this space of no thinking, no emotion, this space of stillness where higher consciousness, inspiration, and you can connect to your soul, same space where this other kind of language can occur that has no emotion and it has no thinking.
So as an actor or a writer or filmmaker, don't we need those emotions though? Because we're going to, at some point, put a project out there that's going to, you know, affect people in some way. So we need to really tap into that. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody loves emotion. <laughs> Nobody's gonna wanna give up their emotion and we're never gonna give up our emotion. We love our emotion. I think we've taken advantage of, of you know, filmmakers have taken advantage of our emotions by, you know, same thing as corporate. You know, I wanna, I'm gonna sell this movie on fear. You know, I'm gonna, I, I, listen, I, I did a horror movie. I hate to say this because maybe somebody will go look it up. I don't like horror movies. I was sent this script when I was young and, and uh, my husband, I closed the script, my husband came in and I was crying and he said, why are you crying? And I said, oh, because they're gonna ask me to do this movie, they're gonna ask me to lead in this movie and I'm gonna probably say yes. And he goes, well, you don't have to. And I go, I know, but it's leading the movie. So I made the movie. Um, and then, you know, it, it's, it has a cult following. But then the director made another movie like that. And then he made another movie like that. And then he made another movie like that. And I think when you make one genre movie like that to sort of get yourself known and show I can do a structure within, a, you know, this kind of filmmaking, you know, this genre of filmmaking, and I can put a structure together and actors and direct them, and here's my camera, and, you know, show off those things by entering a genre of picture like that, where women are killed, because most of them are about killing women, you know, I think you get one. I mean, this, this is uh, like a little opinionated here, but I think you get one. You get one, okay, it got you on the map. You can't go on making movies about killing women without making a pretty crappy statement, you know? So I think that they're taken advantage of, but you know, this is all part of us kind of rising up and above, because once you see that, you go, well, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna manipulate my emotions because I'm the only one who can do that. I can have them and I can leave them. Or I, if I can't leave them, I can at least look at them. I can at least separate myself out and look at them and going, boy, I'm crying so hard. There is not coming out of my nose and running down my lip. And I'm just looking at that. Just that separation alone will make you realize I am not that. That emotion is just part of this life in a body that I'm creating. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It's not, you know, like, oh, no, it's kind of, kind of cool. That's why we watch in the movies. We go, oh, it's cool, cool. You know, oh, look, they're, they're, they're emulating that emotion. Look, oh, he's scared. She looks really scared. Oh, screaming. She's really screaming. <laughs> you know, it, it's, anyway, did, did I answer that? Yeah, I think so. But it, one good thing is then we know once we leave the theater or we turn it off at yeah. home that it's over. It's not, but but I just wondered, you know, how does an artist separate um, their need for emotion to put it into their projects versus dealing with them every day? Well, I think it's great you brought it up again because the, the, the be all and end all of it is they honor the fact that they're creating it. We're creating it in life and we're creating it for the film and we're creating it for the play. We're creating it. An actor has to bring that life out of nothing. He creates that before your very eyes. I am not just gonna pretend that I'm crying. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna do the things that I would do if I was crying. 
and I'm going to stimulate that, and then you're going to enter that. And doesn't that show us both that we're just creating emotions? We can create them, we can uncreate them, we can create them, we can walk away from them. The actors get in trouble when they create it, and then they go, they think they pad their part. They think they look like better actors if they say, I have trouble getting rid of the emotions of this part. I have to take them home. I have to live in the emotions, you know. You know, you don't have to do that. You create it, you know, you enter and you exit freely. That's what I tell my students. Enter it and exit it freely. Then you can go as far in as you want because you know you're going to exit. What is the power of objective observation? Oh, this is my favorite thing. We could, we could heal the whole planet just on objective observation. It's rare, but it's the most important thing for an artist, I think. Uh, of all the tools in the toolkit, objective observation. I think actors do it, um, I was going to say painters do that uh, all the time. They're always looking, and when they look and they observe objectively, not with judgment, they don't look at a tree and say, oh, tree, not nice on the left, good on the right, not so good on the left. Painters look at things to see what they haven't seen before. Objective observation is the art of just looking, just looking, no judgment. So if I say to you, just look, just spend 10 minutes looking without judgment, can you see that is a rare, rare thing? We don't do that. And one of the reasons we don't slow down enough, you have to slow down. You have to still yourself. So it's another way to get into a meditative state. But for an artist, when you look objectively without judgment, you can discover what you haven't seen before. So most of us look and see and go, I know that. I got it. Check. You know, that's it. There's no more learning. There's no more discovery. But if you walk by in New York, I have this tree outside the apartment that I'm very fond of and that I look at daily when I'm in New York. And I, I, I will just spend time looking at this tree objectively. Thoughts drift away, emotions, worry, everything just away. Just look at the tree. I look at the spaces between the leaves. I look at the leaves. And... You know, this is me, but I swear, you do that and a breeze will come up and the tree will go like this and wave at you. You'll see, you know, a bird make a nest at the top. All of these things are happening around you and available to you all of the time. But you have to still yourself and look and you have to be aware of how much judgment you have because we're trained to it. You know, we're all walking around with so much judgment. You know, and, and social media isn't helping us. I like it. I don't like it. Uh, the things that people say to people on social media are just, I, it, it's unfathomable to me. Um, so those people are a little asleep. And we, we have, you set an example and then something else becomes cool. We have to try. <laughs> we have to try to make awakening hip. We have to try to make awakening consciousness cool. And there, you know, there are lots of people waking up at the same time. So we'll, we'll find a way to, to make people you know, want to do that more. But objective observation is the artist's greatest tool 
because it allows them to see what they think they know and discover what they didn't see before. And when you work with someone, how can you tell that maybe they haven't awoken that part yet, that, that they don't have it in them at this point? Well, they, well, it's because it starts with the first exercise, the environment exercise, where they create a space. Because the exercises go in your life, study your life's rhythms, study how you make coffee, study how you make breakfast, study how you shave, study, you know, all these different life rhythms. The guy who studied how he got dressed for work uh, in his police job. These are all life rhythms that, that we do them over and over and over again. And when we look at those objectively and discover the behavior we didn't see before and then duplicate that behavior, so then they come to the exercise and there's not enough behavior, I can tell that they haven't been looking for it. So then I have them go back and make a list and bring me the list. What are the behaviors? I mean, here's a perfect example. My, my husband was shaving one morning and, you know, we worked together and, and when the studio was open, he was there all the time as well. So he's shaving in the morning and he starts to observe objectively his shaving, exactly how he shaves and the habits and, the, you know, we do all these little things. And then he finished shaving and then he went to put his contact lenses in. He does these things exactly the same every morning. Goes to put his contact lenses and he puts a contact lens in and he goes like this. And he said he went and he looked at a painting that my father did of me across the room and he looked at it with his eye. That's how he checked to see if the contact was seated right. Then he put the other one in and he looked at the painting with that eye and he realized he had been doing this for 12 years, 15, and he had never realized that he did this checking with the eyes. <clears throat> if you put that behavior into a movie, I'm telling you, people will love it because it's human behavior and everybody knows it. And it was discovered. He looked at what he does every day, what he knows how to do, and he discovered something he'd never seen before. That's art. That's art. Discovery is art. You know, I, I looked for a definition because I'm a teacher of art. I wanted a definition of art that would inspire, that would light people up. I couldn't find it. And I looked in a lot of dictionaries. And, you know, they talk about creativity and they talk about all kinds of things. But I, nothing rang my bell. So I finally asked myself, you know, what do I think this is? What is this? And it came very clear to me, you know, that art is the expression of that which you've discovered. If, you, if there's no discovery, there's no art. It's going to be just, a, you know, a rendition of something that you've seen before, that you liked, you know, and you make a little rendition of that and feels like it's good. But if you discover something, now you have something personal to give, even if it's as small as putting your contacts in and checking in to see if they're seated right in the picture. Then you'd have the shot of the painting, which is pretty dramatic, and then you have the shot of it. I don't know where you go from there, but it's a beautiful piece of behavior, and the story is told in behavior. So when you say the word rendition, if we go back to asking an actor, what do you want? What do you want from life? Oh, well, I want to be famous. I want to be in this movie. I want to do the next Blue Jasmine. I want to... 
And then you go, wait a minute, do you really want to do that? Or is that a rendition of what you've, that, that's, is, is there something that's more authentic to you? Yeah, I think that's true. I don't want to be hard on them if they love blue velvet and they love, you know, there are all kinds of things add up in them to an excitement of wanting to be a filmmaker. I want to make films like that. But if you just direct them to this place to ask questions, if you direct them to these tools like objective observation, keeping your vibration high with gratitude and, you know, what should have so many blessings. Anybody making a film has a lot of blessings, you know. Uh, joy list, uh, I think there's several others, but objective observation is one of them. You give them these tools and they will begin to listen to themselves. You know, the entire book, my entire purpose of writing a book and I don't call it my book because, you know, a lot of it just came through. Um, I call it the book. But the sole purpose of it was, can I use this technique and these lessons that I've learned in my life to help someone listen to the muse in them, listen to their own soul speaking, listen to that, uh, find that place of inspiration where all of these, the same things come from that one space which is, you know, in meditation they call it the gap. It's a place without thought. And the longer you, for me, the longer I work with it, the more it creates this kind of a space. And it feels like peace. It feels like relaxation. But if you ask questions, like, why do I like blue velvet? Or, you know, why do I want, you know, things will come in and those things that come in will move in you and then you'll know, oh, that's, that's what I want to do. That's, that's the muse. That's speaking to me. That's my, that's my purpose. That's my goal. That's, that's authentic. That's a discovery. You discover, you have an aha moment. You ask yourself and then you go, oh, that's, that's charged. That's gold. That's what you're looking for. So the whole purpose was to lead people to that space to question and uh, listen for the right answers and then teach them, this one's loaded. Go for that one. Go after that. So it's the gap. The gap is the space. And when you're in the gap, which is really the present moment, you know, when you watch an actor who's, you know, all the time, all the time, people say, you know, you know, actors say, I want to live in the moment. You know, this is the whole movement in acting about being in the moment. Is he in the moment? Is he going to be in the moment? And so people think being in the moment is improvisational. Being in the moment is not just improvisational. That's part of it, to be in the moment improvisationally. Okay, that's part of it. But the moments are created by you in your imagination from this story that you want to tell underneath the story. So here's the script and here's, you know, your choices. The script is um, the tip of the iceberg and the actor's work is the whole bottom of the iceberg. So you're going to create a story underneath that screenplay that brings that screenplay to life. Those choices, the more authentic, the more aha, the more they're made from that space through questions that you ask yourself over and over until you go, oh, what if it was that? And you put that into the work in a concrete way. 
Now you're cooking with gas. Now you're really creating. So there's no worry about, you know, he likes this or I had to worry about, is he being authentic? Is he not being authentic? Just lead them to that space. Let them practice in that space. Let them learn how to observe objectively. Let them discover by observing, you know, let them discover by observing objectively. And then let them take that discovery and put it into the work in a concrete way. Because it's not enough for it to be in your head. People think, oh, I've got this thing, I have this idea, I think it's so great. Well, if that idea doesn't go into some form of behavior, some form of physical choice in the scene, it, it's all for naught. It doesn't exist. Actors write long biographies. I need long biographies. I need a biography that has enough things that activate certain behavioral choices in the scene. Have you seen the most aha in a performance in film or theater? That's a good question. You know, what comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind, I can't believe this comes to mind, it was so long time ago. I saw Alec Guinness uh, in Dylan on Broadway. Oh my God. So at the end of this play, you know, Dylan Tom, about Dylan Thomas, he builds, you know, he's been told, if you have another drink, you're going to die. You cannot drink, you're going to die. So he goes into the White Horse Tavern and he builds, he orders, I don't know, 40 shot glasses and he builds a tower of these shot glasses. He builds, very carefully builds them one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And then the very last moment of the play, he takes the top one off and he shoots the thing and there's a blackout, right? I didn't realize I had watched him build that tower with no words just full-on inner life, I don't know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes? That's a very brave thing to do in a play. And I had entered it. I was he. You know, we enter the character. We don't just go into the white horse tavern. We enter the character. We experience what he's experiencing, which helps us, you know, to realize the genius of actors. If we can enter his experience, we can certainly enter that for our fellow man. If we started entering each other's experiences a little bit more and caring a little bit more, that, that's why I think acting reverberates with people so much, why we love artists and we love performance, but I don't think we're aware that that's why. You can't be an artist and worry about what other people think? How is that possible? Oh, well, you can't be a person and worry about what other people think. And you certainly can't be an artist and worry about what other people think. You know, if you track this, you know, why do we worry about what other people think? I think you could probably take it back to your earliest uh, sensation that someone was judging you. And it was very painful. We find it very painful when people judge us. So, you know, if that happened when you were very, very little... And you're very, you know, artists are very, very sensitive. So, you know, it happens when they're little and they have that, then they're going to worry about what other people think of them. Certainly in puberty, your body is changing. You know, you don't understand. Often, every once in a while, someone goes through puberty looking beautiful. But for the most of us, you know, you're getting braces and you're not your most beautiful time of life. 
And, you know, we worry about what people think of us. And then we go into high school, which is freaking brutal, brutal place. It's not natural. It's not where anyone should. I mean, high school today is just like craziness. But anyway, you go into high school and you're trying desperately to find a group somewhere to belong, someone to have lunch with, and you worry about what people think of you. Um, if you try to create from that, impossible. That is impossible. There is no creating when you're worried about what other people think of you because you will try to create things that will make them like you. And that's what actors do in auditions and they don't book the part because they go on the audition and they go, ah, I do this thing that I think that you want me to do and that way I'll get the part. I'll do what I think you want and then I'll get the part. None of that can happen. The whole purpose of art is to, to, to show the path, you know, what is the next path? We're always, artists are always looking for the new, the new movement. Where's the new direction? You know, the Beatles, a whole new direction in music. We had a renaissance, really, in the 70s, painting and music and dance and Twalia Tharp, you know, she put ballet and and musical theater together and jazz and came out with something nobody had ever seen before and Beach Boys music, you know, it was like nobody had ever seen dancers move like that before. You know, painters in the 70s, nobody seen paintings like that before. We don't, we don't have that right now. We don't have any new, what is the new, what is the forward movement? What is the new way? What is the Tao, the way? And, uh, Part of that, I think, is that we're living in a really judgmental society and artists put things out and everybody feels like they're a critic and, and they're mean and they're really mean. So you can't care about that. You, you know, even more importantly, you can't care about that because you have to set an example for those people. You have to not judge those people but say, poor people, don't know where that's coming from, but it's really nasty. I'm glad I'm not going around getting my jollies by knocking people online. You know what I mean? Poor people, let's just set an example. Um, the way not to care about what other people think of you is to have confidence that you take counsel from your own heart. So that goes back to how do I take counsel from my own heart? How do I listen to my higher self? How do I find that same counsel I had at eight years old when I said, why not? They don't see me. I'm sad. And they said, well, we might have to be enough. Get over it. It was very matter of fact. Get over it. We might have to be enough. You're blessed. You know, and I went, oh, okay. Okay. I don't think it solved it completely. But all of these things we have to practice. So we have to, we have to recognize, oh, I really am caring what that person thinks of me. I think I'll let that go, you know. So first we have to recognize it. That takes a little separation. That takes creating a little space so you can look at you, the personality. So you, the being, can look at you, this personality. We work so hard on these personalities. And we think they're great, but trust me, you're not your personality. You're something so much bigger, so, so much bigger. So once you know that, you connect to that, and you can listen to that. You can ask questions. You can listen. You can get become in a state and ask questions and wait for your heart to beat on the answer so that higher consciousness, 
inspiration can come into that space, you're not going to care what people think about. After, after you experience that and you live intentionally from that, oh, this came in, I'm really excited, I know what my purpose is, I'm going to move in that direction, here are the steps I can take. Are you really condemning me? Sorry, don't have time. I hope your life gets better. You know what I mean? You move forward. But, but it is that faith that you are on the right path and that you can continue on the right path because you have certain practices that will support that, that will take you to a space of, I don't care what others think of me. I don't worry. It's not that you don't care. It's that you don't worry about it. You said something wonderful in the book, too, something to the effect of we're rarely as bad as we think and as great <laughs> as we think. And that was, that's a really freeing thought. Yeah, it is because, you know, actors, they think they're the best. They get it right. They get a great thing, and then they, they're, like, all charged. You know, they think, I'm cool. I'm great. I did that work. It's really good. You know, I'm great. And, and they talk about their talent, my talent, my talent. They go, oh, okay, that's good. And then the problem is that, that, that they dive from that. The minute they, they fall from grace, they fall from that to the depths of, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm crabby, and nobody likes me, and I'll never work again. You know, my father was an actor. Oh, my God, every time he was out of a job, it was like, I'm never going to work again. I mean, they fall into this depressive state. And so I used to tell my actor, I got to tell you something. You're never as great as you think you are. You know, when you're like pumping yourself up and feeling like I'm hot shit, you know, guess what? There's somebody else who's hotter shit out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're never as bad as you think you are. So you're somewhere in the middle. In the middle. Stop measuring it because it's a distraction to measure. You know, your time is like a bank account. You only have so much time, right? You know, it's 24 hours in a day, and da, 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 I don't know how many days I have on the planet, but, you know, your, your time is like a bank account. You can either spend it this way, or you can spend it this way. That is your choice. This is very, very important. This is how you take control of your life. If you are spending your time worrying about what people are thinking of you, you don't have that time to do something more important. If you are spending your time puffing yourself up to I'm the greatest thing in the world, you don't have that time to go help your friend with an audition. If you, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's all about having enough awareness to see how am I spending my time? Does it contribute to my life? Does it contribute to my community? Does it contribute to, you know... Jocelyn, would you mind reading a poem from your new book? I know you have many different chapters and sections in it, but this one is Become a Master. Becoming a Master. Yes, I'm going to read you a little bit before it, so it sets up the poem a bit. Um, you know, uh, actors are always asking me, how do I become a master? What is a master? You know. So this is a bit of an answer to that. Forget comparing yourself to any master. Recognize that what you admire in that person is simply a reflection of those qualities already existent in you. Keep your eye on that ball. Therein lies the synchronicity. What you already know, you summoned into your life for you to know again, more profoundly. Be grateful for that synchronicity. Here's what I tell my students about becoming a master. Start. Keep going. 
You think you're starting to get the hang of it. Keep going. You admire someone else's work and go into doubt. Hell, I can't do that. Keep going. You feel like maybe, possibly, you kind of got the hang of it now. You don't. Keep going. You ask someone for an opinion. Their response is insultingly polite. Keep going. You fall into doubt. Keep going. You fall into depression. Keep going. You ask someone else's opinion and their response is favorable. You realize they have no idea what they're talking about. Keep going. You feel better and maybe even a little proud of what you can do now. Keep going. You chastise yourself for thinking that. Keep going. You indulge in some form of self-sabotage for comfort. Keep going. Self-loathing creeps in. Keep going. Depression visits. Again, keep going. You are asked, you ask a professional for their opinion. They respond favorably. You think you know better. Keep going. You wake up sad. Keep going. Loneliness sets in, keep going, although you can't possibly imagine why. You become restless, keep going. You receive praise from the one person you believe matters most. It doesn't matter. Keep going. You just keep going because there's nothing else you can do. Mastery arrives, and you mistake it for a gust of wind. Keep going. What events had led up to you writing this poem? Oh, the the poem. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, actors are seeking that. It's not mastery they're seeking. They're seeking, like, where is the end point where I know that I am glorious or I've won the wars or I, you know, it's that it is a reach for a satisfaction of ego, you know, and they're saying it's a master. You know, the master, I used to tell a thing in class about how, you know, Seven Samurai is one of my favorite movies. And Toshiro Mufuni, you know, with his sword, he's, he's sort of a, not a very good samurai. And he has a sword and he makes a big show and he's like slashing, slashing, slashing with this thing in this wall. And uh, he's just silly. And the master comes along and he has his sword and he goes, and five flies fall to the ground. So mastery is really less. You're so confident you can do less and have the same impact. You're so confident you can do less and have a bigger impact. And what is that less but a stillness? Do you see how I'm going? It's less. You come from a place of stillness. So the master is really working within that gap the whole time. And if it's acting, you know, he's... He's working with less, but he's more entered. There's a painter I talked to on the phone yesterday. He's, he's 85. He's a fantastic painter. His name is Julio Lorez, if you want to look up his beautiful work. And I was talking about on the phone because we've been exchanging gifts. And I found out his daughter lived in Los Angeles. So I said, are you going to come to Los Angeles and visit your daughter? Because I want to see him. And he said, no, Yashi. I go, why? No. Because no, I'm painting. And they said, oh, well, you know, I have a place in New York and your son lives in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Do you go see your son for a visit? No, Yossi. Why, Julio? I am painting. You know, Yossi, 
I, I have too many paintings. I can't paint all the paintings that I want to paint. I blew out your microphone, I'm sorry. But, you know, it just knocked me over. That's mastery. He's in it for the meditation. The painting is a meditation. When he's putting paint on a canvas, he is entering. He is entering the canvas. He's not in this world. He's not worried. He doesn't worry what people think about him because he's not coming to visit his daughter in California. If she wants to visit him, you come see me. I don't want to get on planes. I'm old and I'm painting. Same thing with his son. So mastery is really a state it's not something to reach, I'm gonna, I achieved mastery. No, that's a desire for some super admiration. She's a master, he's a master. You know, we like to put those labels on things. Mastery is a way of life. What is leaving behind a trail of breadcrumbs? Oh, wow. You know, the cover of the book um, are these hands. And I'm surprised at how many people don't know what those hands are. Those hands are from the cave of hands. I can't say it in Spanish. Or I'd love to rattle it off. Cuavos dos manos, something. But it's called the cave of hands, and it's in Patagonia. It's in Argentina, Patagonia. And, and those hands are 65,000 years old. They are the first expression of man. I am. I was here. I matter. You know, uh, we had cave paintings, and that, those were the stories of the hunt. And the first actors were the guys who came back from the hunt and told the story around the campfire. And those cave paintings of animals and such are, are quite old, but they are storytelling. These hands are this impulse and this desire to express self. So they knocked me out. They really knocked me out. So a trail of breadcrumbs, you know, is from the poem that, that opens the book about what is an artist. And they leave behind a trail of breadcrumbs means they leave behind, hopefully, inspired work. That when we look at the bread, it's like a little path, this is inspired work. When an artist gives you inspired work, you know, just like he knew it, I say, oh, you know it in your heart, you know. When they leave that work and you see that work, you know it. You know that's inspired work. That same inspiration hits you. When you see the Michelangelo, you burst into tears. When you see the David by Michelangelo, you burst into tears because it's like, my, my God, that came from man. That's inspired. So those are the trail of breadcrumbs. This is the direction we're going in. Follow the inspiration to find out what man is capable of as a spiritual being.